Hey everyone, I'm Sarah James, a beauty blogger and self-help aficionado. And I'm Kristen Howerton, a writer and psychotherapist. And you are listening to Selfie, a weekly podcast about two women trying to tackle better self-care. We are both of the opinion that self-care is important, and yet we find it elusive. And while we may have all the info we need, we don't always get there. From the silly to the serious, we are taking a vulnerable yet humorous look at body, mind, and spirit. And maybe a touch of the random, all while looking at the distractions and defenses that keep us from caring for ourselves like we should. Hey guys, well today we're going to be talking with Dr. Chad Larson again. If you are a regular listener, you might have heard me have a conversation with him about food sensitivities and leaky gut a couple weeks back. And I enjoyed my conversation with him so much. He is a naturopath. Um... And he was just great to talk to. And um, at the end of our conversation, I just asked him if he'd come on the show again. And I asked him, what are the things that you're seeing women of my age concerned with? And he said, you know, the biggest thing people are coming into my office about um, is losing weight and their regular efforts no longer working. So he and I have a fascinating conversation um, just about the hidden things that you may not be thinking about in terms of weight loss from sleep to insulin to cortisol and stress. It was very illuminating. So we're going to chat about that. Um, but first, Claire, um, how's your self-care going? My self-care is, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a journey. It's a work in progress. It's a work in progress. Mm -hmm. I am in the areas like that I've set some goals as far as weight loss, which I really want to shift that word from weight loss to strengthening. Sure. Mm -hmm. Um, that's been going really great and it's actually helped me tremendously with the next topic that we're going to talk about, which is, you know, boundaries within our family. Yeah. So you have been on a little boundaries journey as yeah, well. I have. In the last couple of months with, I have. with family. You know, there's that saying, like, it's your family. You know, you got to do Let it for your family. Let us water. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I have always, maybe not preached, but always really like believed. Yeah. And, um... When you are in a family where somebody is unhealthy or um, is a narcissist, mm -hmm. you that that becomes something completely different. The whole like it's family, you you have to give everything to family. When you are in a parental relationship with somebody who is, um, you know, their mental health is not is not good, or they're a narcissist or whatever. It's difficult to separate yourself from feeling like you are obligated yes. to care for that person yes. or to put up with yeah. the way they treat you. Yeah. So I'm being very vague. A few months ago um, – well, let me backtrack. I'm going to be talking about a parental relationship today. And I had a very close relationship with my father. Mm -hmm. And I am the oldest child. Yeah. And for the last, I'd say, about 10 years, I had been emotionally taking care of him, mm -hmm. financially – helping, which then turned into taking care of him. Yes. And it never was enough. Mm. It seemed like it was a favor, mm -hmm. and then it was two favors, uh -huh. and then it was, let me borrow some money, mm -hmm. and then it was, let me move into your house for a while. Mm -hmm. And it was just, every ask got bigger and bigger. Yeah. yeah. But it's your dad. Yeah. It's your family, so of course you would. Well, and let me say this. I mean, for, you know, people who don't know you well. You are one of the most loyal people I know. Oh, like if you. I had to describe you in one word, loyal would be it. You you keep in touch with everyone you've, you know, I mean, maybe to a <laughs> to a fault. Maybe to a fault. Absolutely. You know, you are incredibly generous and friendly with your ex-husband. You are insanely generous with your ex-stepchildren who are basically like your children. I right. mean, you're basically raising them. Yeah. Um, you are very loyal and you're very you. generous. And so I feel like for you to get to a point where you are saying enough, mm -hmm. it had to be pretty bad. It was. Yeah. And okay, I'm Enneagram too. Yep. And so... And maybe some codependency. Oh, I am the poster child yeah. for codependency. Okay. okay. <laughs> so, I mean, a child of divorced parents. I mean, yeah. uh, a stepfather who, you know, 10 years ago, you know, died by suicide. Yeah. There's a lot of trauma, codependency. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the last few years, I've been feeling very healthy and have made some really great strides in my life, got married. And this relationship was what was holding me back. Mm. And it was holding me back in so many ways 
that I would lash out in other relationships because mm. of the frustration I had mm-hmm. in this one. Right. And again, it's that guilt of, mm-hmm. I don't want to give him $500 a month this month because that's for camp. Totally. But, like, but he's going to be on the street or mm. he's going to lose his job. And it was always, it, there was always a situation where if I didn't help, everything was going to come crashing down. Right. And I was giving him money. And not telling my husband. Ugh. I was giving him money or helping him and lying about it. Right. Okay, so this is like, you're getting to the point where this this can't be healthy. Right. I, kn- I know in my, right. in my, I know in my brain this is not right, but the alternative just seems like I can't do anything else because, again, this is my family. Right. So, fast, or backtrack, you know, three months, he's asking for favors mm-hmm. pretty consistently. Mm-hmm. And we got a dog. Yeah. And when we went on a, a short vacation, he offered to walk this dog. Right. Which, thank you. I appreciate it. Which turned into when we got back, he was coming to the house every single day, walking her without my knowledge. Huh. Then he was hanging out at the house every day when we weren't there. Huh. Come to find out there was just a lot of weird things happening. Yeah. And I finally sat down with myself mm-hmm. and just fell apart. Mm. Talked to my husband. I had to confess everything. I'd been giving him money. This was happening. Right. And I needed a support system because I yeah. felt like I was keeping all of this inside. Yeah. And it was like, I was like living a lie. It was like a secret. Yeah. That's terrible. And so I finally got up the courage mm-hmm. to confront him mm-hmm. and say, I love you. Yeah. This can't continue. Yeah. And you know, I think in our minds sometimes, especially when we're thinking about a parental relationship, we think that the way that they should react is how they're going to react. We think they're going to react in a certain way because especially as a parent... I could never imagine putting my child in a situation, a financial situation, first and foremost. Yeah. But then also guilting them if they told me they couldn't do it. Right. And so I went into this conversation feeling so confident, like, mm-hmm. okay, he's mm-hmm. going to understand. Yeah, he'll be reasonable. That didn't happen. Yeah. I got the complete, how could you betray me? Right. I have no one else. And every part of my inner child, like, just... Oh my gosh. It was like every trauma, everything I was experiencing all over again. Mm-hmm. And I just, I couldn't believe that this person who was supposed to take care of me right. and love me was rejecting me. For not. For not saving them. Yeah. For the hundredth time. Yeah. I yeah, mean, yeah. to the point we've given him cars. He's had cars we yeah. possessed. I mean, it's just the, any level of crazy you can think of. Well, is, he's low functioning and you have been mitigating that for a long I've time. I've been enabling him. Yeah. Yeah. I have, it, have I've absolutely been enabling him. And if I, what really changed things for me is when someone said, what if your husband was giving his parent money without telling you and enabling this behavior for years and years? Like, what would you, I would not put up with that. Are you kidding no, me? I would flip the F out. I mean, that is truly when we're looking at the boundaries that we enact with other people. One of the best questions to ask ourselves is, what would I tell a friend who was doing this? Because mm-hmm. we can't care for ourselves often the way that we could. For our friends. Yeah. Absolutely. We would empower a friend. We would be like, oh my gosh, stop. Get out. Like. Absolutely. That's bullshit. But we will let ourselves be treated very poorly. And so poorly that it's an embarrassment to myself right. to even admit right, this. Right, right, But part of me talking about this is holding myself accountable uh-huh. to not allowing it back. It's very similar yeah. if anyone has been in a relationship, a romantic relationship with a narcissist, how even after you stand up for yourself and you set these boundaries, uh-huh. you go through this period of guilt and shame. Absolutely. And it's not like one period. It's yeah. like you have a good week and you then cycle. and then you come back around you like, cycle. oh my God, am I the worst daughter? Is he homeless? Is yeah. he going to die? Is it my fault? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But I took some really good precautionary measures. Okay. I blocked the phone number. Mm-hmm. So when he decided that... He wasn't going to stop doing the things he was doing. Right. And he wasn't going to come clean, come to the table and say, here's what it is. Uh-huh. Let's repair at least our relationship. Right. He rejected me. Right. And he screamed and, you know, there was it was a yeah. big blowout. You weren't meeting the conditions and so he right. was not interested in a relationship. Right. And I, the first thing he said to me, how dare you speak to your father that way? And I remember in that moment being like, whoa, like there is something really different going on here than uh-huh. I even realize. Right. But the I put some, you know, precautionary measures in place. I blocked his phone number. Uh-huh. Like my own father. Yeah. The fact that I even have to do that, like how crazy. But that's where I am, right? Yeah. I blocked his phone number. I blocked his email. Because after I blocked his phone number, he continued to email me. Yeah. You know, just 
in dire straits and mm-hmm. realizing also later that he has been having the same conversation with four other people in our family. Right. We also live very close to each other. He lives less than a block away. Oh, yeah. So I have that feeling like, am I going to see him at Vaughn's? Right. I saw him at Vaughn's. Of course you did. Right. I see your dad at Vaughn's. The yeah. freaking dentist. I saw your dad at the dentist. Right. Yeah. And also, to be fair, my dad's like the most charming. Mm-hmm. Everyone thinks that he's like. He is. Just lovely. He's very charismatic. Yes. Has a British mm-hmm. accent. And just everyone thinks that he's just the bee's knees. But anyway, block the phone number, block the email, and have really been trying to talk to as many people about this as possible. Mm-hmm. So I can normalize my reaction to it and normalize yeah. that there's a lot of people since talking about this, like another close friend of ours has a relationship like this with their mother and sister. Yeah. The more I talk about this, I can't believe how many people that are close to me deal with this within their own families and oh, don't talk so about ma- it. So many. I mean, I, I don't talk about it, but I mean, I had to block my own mother on Facebook, you know, it's awful. It's an awful feeling. It's terrible. And you know, it's, I'm actually in a Facebook group of daughters who have mothers with issues similar to my own. Um, and there's just a lot of shame, you mm-hmm. know, a lot of shame, especially around Mother's Day, oh. around the holidays, because people who've not been in a relationship with someone with like a personality disorder, they don't understand why we would have to do the cutoff. Why, you know, because why would we you have seem to be like so the heartless person? Right, right, right. When in fact, I mean, I, I know that this is true of you and I know that it's true of me. I'm actually a very loyal person. Absolutely. I'm actually a very generous person. I also struggle with codependency. My, my natural state is to not have good boundaries. Yes. And so when things have gotten to a point of me having to have boundaries, you know, and, and I haven't, I don't have a full cutoff from my mom, but, you know, in the social media, which is an arena where she spends a lot of time and I spend a lot of time, mm-hmm. obviously, because of my job, um, you know, it just got so inappropriate. So inappropriate and so lacking in boundaries and, and embarrassing. Oh, and yeah, totally embarrassing. And it got to a point where there was a day that I had my mother was um, confronting one of my friends on social media oh. about something generally related to race or politics. Which that's also hurtful because I'm, you know, absolutely multiracial family. Absolutely, and these her, are grandchildren. Yeah, and some of her views on race are very antiquated, and and you know, and and I'll say this because I know a lot of people are in this situation too. I think a lot of us are dealing with aging parents who are watching Fox News twenty four seven. And listen, I'm I'm not here to like be political because. Everyone this can goes hold. deeper than this the politics. This is deeper than the politics. This so is much not deeper. about the politics. Mm-mm. This isn't about my mother is conservative. Right. My mom has every right to be a Republican. The issue is that she's watching a paranoid news cycle 24-7. In an echo chamber. In an echo chamber and is constantly paranoid and constantly spewing things that are demonstrably not true. Yes. And, and horrifically ignorant at the yes, same time. <laughs> and it's obsessive. I mean, I, I try to stay informed. I watch the presidential debates. You know, I, I, I'm not like, oh, let's just ignore everything. Right. But this is to an extreme where every she is living and breathing an anger machine of it's paranoia. Fear. Yeah. And that's all she can talk about. You know, every Facebook post multiple times a day is about you know, some, oh, well, look at what the liberals are doing or look at, and, and there's an undercurrent of look at what the minorities right. are doing. It's always, that's always, it's always the same thing. It's like, it, in, in my opinion, and I know we're saying it's not political. For me, when I hear that, my father's actually the same way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, and he's British. It, which is ridiculous. Yeah. He wasn't a citizen until like three years ago. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about immigration. Okay. <laughs> but it's just. It's so hateful. It's it, it is. really comes from when you hear them spew it, regardless of what they're talking about. The, the undertone, like the tone you hear, is just hate. Yeah, and it's tough too because you know, in my family, um, you know, I have two adopted black kids. My sister has two biracial black kids. My other sister has two biracial Dominican kids, and you know, these kids are growing up. And I mean, my nephew is an adult, and he's going toe to toe with her. On, you know, on all these things. And he's hurt. And, and it's he's, like, you want to protect them kind of from that. I do. But it's, you know, and I just keeps telling him like, you know, one choice here is to disengage. That is mm-hmm. one choice. And if you feel like you can stay healthy and do this. But for me, I had to disengage. And there was a, an incident where she was 
confronting a person of color in the comments of one of my Facebook posts. And I said, mom, if you continue doing this, I will block you. And she continued doing it. And then I blocked her and then she was horrified. But it's like, you know, that was the boundary I set. And not only is it just awful, but it's also where is it respect for this being your job or like your career? I mean, that, that's twofold. It's like hateful yeah. and no respect for you. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and then she's mortified because she's like, well, now I can't see photos of the kids. And it's like, well, that's you weren't treating this as a venue for you to see photos of the kids. Correct. You were treating this as a venue for you to pick, 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 pick at me, who you think is this dangerous socialist, liberal, whatever you've been fed that I, you know, that myself and people who think like me are going to do, you know. Do and you ever get like trapped though in the idea? And I, I'm over this now, but I was stuck in it for a while of. I'm depriving my children of that grandparent relationship. Well, I'm not because I do let them see her. But, you know, she has choices. She could make different choices in terms of visit. I mean, she hasn't visited in a very long time. And that's what I've had to tell myself is I've cut it off not only for myself, but for the kids. Yeah. And that was how he used to get at me before. Right. Well, I mean, well, let them know I love them. I guess I won't be taking them to soccer anymore, you know. Just ridiculous. Yeah, right. And just like you said, different choices. Mm-hmm. The the changes that we're asking are so minute. Yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous. All, I, all I'm asking is for you not to use me. Yeah. That's literally all I'm yeah. asking for. And that is, how dare you? I know. How dare you ask that much of me? Well, you know, when you put a reasonable boundary forward and it is met with a lot of sh- uh, like what I would call a shame dump, mm-hmm. which is what people with personalities, d- personality disorders do. You know, you say something like, Hey, could you not drink on vacation? Could you not get drunk when you take the kids on a trip? <laughs> For example. Right. And if you, and the pushback you get is how dare you? You're so controlling. To- yeah. You control everything I do. You don't own me anymore. You Mm -hmm. can't control me when it's like, no, I actually just don't want my children swimming with a drunk adult. Right. Sleeping nearby. I would like them, you know. But but that's a shame dump. That's, you know, when you say something that is reasonable, but rather than see it as reasonable, the person goes, how dare you? Right. Like, you you have a need. How dare you have a need? Yeah. A reasonable need. Or how dare – it's actually more how dare you criticize me. Crit- it is. It's criticism. It's really about the criticism. And I'm noticing – so, you know, I, I refer to my father as a narcissist. Um, he has never been diagnosed. This is my assessment based on how well, no, I felt. Most NPD people will never be diagnosed right. because they will never seek help or treatment. Another thing that I learned about him later in life is my father was adopted. Mm. My father was not adopted until um, six months. Oh, wow. He received – basically zero attachment from zero to six months. Yeah. And well, that's understandable, right? I get, I get that that can form things and how it can. And I would say, I don't know, two years ago, we discovered this and we talked about it. And that was part of why I was kind of allowing this behavior. Cause I was like, I felt sorry for him. And I felt sorry for him. And I really had a wake up moment. Like we all have our shit. We do all have. And at some point, Mm -hmm. Like, you have a computer in your hand. Yeah. Figure out how to get help. Right. Figure out what to read, who to see, who to talk to, to get over that. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was raised by a narcissist. It doesn't mean I have Mm -hmm. a past to treat my kids like garbage. Right. And so all these excuses that I was making as to why he was the way he was, or maybe the reason your mom is the way she is, doesn't fly anymore. Yeah. Well, those things are all true. But then they have to have some personal accountability. Right. Yeah. It's so... Again, it's a journey. It's a journey. I don't know how I'm going to feel next week. Yeah. We should start a thread on this in selfie. Well, yes. do you remember, I think it was on Mother's Day, we started a, a thread yes. that was like the Mother's Day card I wish I could really write. And it was so oh, powerful. I cried. So I sat powerful. there and cried. It wasn't about my my mom. Thank God I have an amazing relationship with my mother. Yeah. But I was reading like as it was my dad kind yeah, of thing. And I was just totally. thinking. And I don't realize those days are also going to be as triggering as they are. Yeah. I wasn't prepared for his birthday and then Father's Day. Yeah. Because then I felt like I'm the one who is supposed to be reaching out. Right. By not reaching out, I'm sending a message. Yeah. But I stayed strong. Yeah. It's hard. And I also said at the end of our last big talk, I left the door open. Mm -hmm. When you are ready to do A, B, and C. Yeah. Which, again, were all very reasonable requests. Right. Right. I'm here. I love you and I'm here. Yeah. 
radio silence. That's good. Well, you've done what you can. Yep. That's all you can do. Yeah. That's all you can do. But I encourage anyone who is going through anything similar, talk to your friends about it. Totally. Because keeping it all inside. Yeah. I mean, I was just or like come a pressure talk about cooker. It in the in the selfie Facebook yes, group. Please. It's such a safe place to like bounce this kind of stuff off people who aren't in your That's why I love this in your group. family. I know. Everyone is just so understanding and kind. I know. And I've gotten the best. so much advice. From I know. This group. <laughs> I know. I feel like our Facebook group has literally like improved my self care more than anything Absolutely. else. Absolutely, freaking lutely. They're all very smart, and they. And I know. I like. Do they want to come on the show? Like, <laughs> you can teach us. We should do that. Yeah, that would be kind of fun. All right. So, what do you have for two thumbs up? Number one, I love me a bath. I actually. Mm. Okay, this is also. This might be gross to people. I don't know. I hate showers. I feel like showers are aggressive. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I feel like... I'd prefer a bath over a shower. Yeah. I'd probably shower once every two weeks. <laughs> I take baths every night. Okay. I'm a bath girl. Sometimes yeah. I'll rinse. Not usually. No, mostly just baths. Yeah. I love bath oil. Yeah. I have every kind of bath oil. CBD bath oh, oil. So lavender bath oil. Yes. But have you tried sexy bath oil? No. <laughs> so we're going to talk about sexy, sexy bath, bath oil. oil. High on love. It's a CBD bath oil. Ooh. Yes. And it's lavender and honey. And it's delicious. And you know what I don't know about this yet? I wonder if I could use this as a um, Lube. massage. Well, that oh, too. Massage you are a step ahead of me. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did a whole episode on lube. Foreplay first, then lube, Kristen. <laughs> but yeah, high on love, sensual bath oil. It's super quickly absorbed into your skin, hmm. so it's not leaving like a film. You oh, know? yes, yes, yes. Some oils will just like sit in the oh, water totally. and cool. Yeah. This doesn't do that. And um, it smells really great. Mm, and CBD, so it's that's supposed to relax you, right? Oh, yeah. Ooh. Then you'll be ready for the lube <laughs> right after. <laughs> Although, I don't know. I think I just want to use that all by myself. <laughs> you could. You could. <laughs> all right. And then what is your second thumbs up? So this kind of goes along with what we were talking about. I'm really hitting this whole boundaries thing from every direction. Uh-huh. And I'm reading a book um, actually called Boundaries. By oh. – you, oh, you've read this. Is it the Cloud and Townsend one? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Such a good book. Also, any two twos, are you out there? You hear me? Enneagram two. Yeah, Enneagram mm-hmm. two, you have to read this book. Oh, for sure. If you don't do anything with your life other than read this book, <laughs> it, it, it makes me realize how I have, like, lack of boundaries, even, like, with the guy at the gas station. Yeah. Like, I need to set – you're so good at this, by the way. Uh, From my perspective. Okay. You've really taught me to say things like – that doesn't work for me. Yeah. Can we do this instead? Yes. Instead of the immediate, like the yes just wants to come yes. out of my mouth. Yeah. That's so true. Bad. You do overpromise. I do. Yeah. And you'll ask me questions and you'll say, wait, 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 before you say yes, <laughs> I want you to think about this. This is how Kristen cares for me. Claire, I feel like you're yes. overextending yourself. I get so excited to help people. <laughs> Again, this book is fantastic. It comes oh, it's in a, such a good. There's book. a different, a couple different versions. Yeah, they have. boundaries in marriage. Mm-hmm. I think boundaries for teachers as yeah. well. Oh, interesting. And again, it kind of touches on codependency. And this is an old book. Like, yeah, I think I read this in college. My mom told me when she saw it at my house uh-huh. that when she was in marriage counseling with yeah. my father, yeah, that they were reading this book. I will say it has a somewhat Christian bent. Yes, but I actually. I really like that about this book because I feel like Christians have a really hard time with boundaries. Mm -hmm. And so they sort of, they're able to kind of use scripture to like be like, knock it all down. You're like, no, really get through, like kind of cut to the shit. You know, like just be like, I know this is what you're all like thinking this means, but you really need to take care of yourself because you're kind of effing it up for everybody else. But also like Jesus had rock solid boundaries. He sure did. Like the guy was like, you know what I'm going to do right now? Take a nap. (laughs) And they're all like, Jesus, dude, what what the hell? And he's like, nope, I'm just going to take a nap right now. I'm tired. Yep. Going to rest up. And, you know, he didn't want you coming into his place of uh, worship and doing things he didn't like. Yeah. He was going to physically throw you you out. He's going to let you know. He has a voice. He does. He's empowered. Oh my gosh, I have another book that reminds me. I'm gonna rec- I'm gonna talk about it next week. Oh, it's okay. about that exact same thing. Oh, I can't wait. All right, um, let me see what I have for two thumbs up. Um, oh, I found um, a new facial SPF that I really like. I'm jealous. That's not mine because I actually would love that sunscreen. Oh well, I'll give you some. It's so great. So this is it's called My Shell. Um, dermaceuticals, um, and it is just for the face. It's tinted. Um, you can get it in a couple different, um, like, light 
I got the light medium, but it's SPF 50. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have any of the parabens, phthalates, blah, 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 blah. But I just, I find that I cannot just put body SPF on my face. No way. Right? Like, no. y- you got to have face. And now that my kids are getting older, it's true for the kids too. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not going to hand them the, you know. Like, are you going to put body lotion on your face? So why are you exactly. putting body sunscreen on your face? Right. Yeah. I mean, it makes you look greasy. It makes you break out. I don't think it works as well. Mm-mm. So anyway, the this um, brand, my shell, they have tinted, but they also have untinted. So the kids use the untinted. Um, I've been using the tinted, and it's really nice. It doesn't. It doesn't look white. You I know, think it's kind of like a like a BB cream almost. It is. Yeah, yeah. There's a little yeah. bit of correction in there, so you yep. can get away with just wearing this. Totally. With maybe a teensy bit of concealer. Totally. It's really nice. Um, and then the other product I'm going to talk about. Okay, Body Glide. Dude. Body Glide. I'm, I'm, I just independently already use this. Before oh, you, do you? Uh-huh. Okay. So Body Glide, um, they have a number of different products, but their original product is called Body and it is an anti-chafing balm. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about chafing. You know, when you decide to go to Disney, hypothetically, hypothetically, hypothetically. you decide you're going to go to Disney and wear a dress. Mm-hmm. And hypothetically, you're sweating your ass off and halfway through the day, your thighs are just raw. having a war and they're raw. You know, so this is this is great for chubby. What do you mean? You don't have a what do you mean? You don't have a thigh gap? Yeah, I mean, for other people that <laughs> don't have the giant thigh gap I have, this I understand could be effective. Um, so they have the body, which is like it looks like a deodorant bar. Yeah. And you just you can put it on anywhere on your body. Like back when I back when I ran a half marathon, which was a long time ago, um, my underarms would shave just from the movement oh. of running. Um, and so I could have used it there. But they have foot glide, which you put on if you're wearing like new sandals and you don't want to get blisters. Um, oh, really? they have cycle glide for people who don't want to get, you know, issues down downstairs. Um oh, you know, that makes sense. Yeah, when yeah. you're when you're riding a bike. So yeah, really good product. I want to take a quick break to talk about italic.com. Italic.com is a great way to buy unbranded high-end purses, accessories, and clothing. I really like this company um, for a number of reasons. First of all, I'm not a huge brand fan. I think that we all end up paying way too much to have a brand labeled on our purse or clothing. So I love the fact that they have partnered with the same manufacturers that make a lot of the high-end brands that you know and love. Gucci, Chanel, Prada, and they make high-end purses that are just as luxurious, but without a brand on them. I ordered a purse um, a couple months ago. I am in love with it. It's a cute black leather crossbody purse, but they have a ton of adorable stuff on their website. And it really does change daily because they source manufacturers to originally design products and they don't buy excess inventory. The fun part of that is products are constantly changing, but you need to buy it while it's hot. I have my eye on a really adorable scarf. They also have sheets right now, lots of really fun stuff on their website. Another thing I really like about Italic is that they just have cute stuff. They have great designers making the stuff that you and I are always looking for. They have adorable leather jackets, purses, totes, lots of options. So for the first time ever, they have set up a special discount just for our listeners. You can go to italic.com and use the code SELFIE to get a $15 credit on your first purchase. So again, italic.com, put in the code SELFIE and you're going to get $15 off some of their luxury products that are already half the price. Hey guys, well, I'm here again with Dr. Chad Larson. Um, He chatted with us a couple weeks ago about food sensitivities, and he is a doctor of naturopathic medicine. We talked about leaky gut, um, stuff like that. And at the end of our conversation, I had asked him, you know, what are some of the things that you're seeing with your patients? And he had said that something over and over again he's hearing is people talking about their struggle with fat burning and weight loss. Um... And that food, you know, diet and exercise just aren't cutting it. And I said, okay, hold up. We need to talk about this. (laughs) So um, Dr. Larson, thank you so much for joining us again to talk about this topic that is frequently discussed in our Facebook group. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So talk to me about what you are seeing. What are clients coming in talking about as it relates to weight loss? Well, basically people are frustrated with what they've learned from, uh, I guess, our culture and maybe some 
different types of people who have tried to help people lose weight. Mm -hmm. And uh, most of the ways that people are trying to lose weight don't lead to sustained weight loss. And people are kind of frustrated about that. And they're wondering, is there another way of doing it? Because what they've been told doesn't seem to be working. Right. And, you know, I'm, I'm hearing people saying that over and over again, and it has certainly been true for myself that, you know, we, we, we gain some weight that's a little unexplained. We go to our doctor, our doctor says, well, you know, food in, food out, you know, it's just about calories. It's just about exercise. Um, and then we do all those things and find it's not, it's not burning off. It's so ingrained in our society. You can ask a teenager like, hey, how, how are you supposed to lose weight? And they would say what you just said. You mm -hmm. eat less and exercise more. And people have been doing that now for decades. And um, we're getting fatter and fatter as time goes on. And people are, are really putting in their best effort to make that happen. And it's not working. Mm -hmm. And people are getting fatter and more frustrated. And along with the increase of fat, there's an increased risk factor of a lot of these chronic conditions that we're trying to avoid, like obesity and diabetes and heart disease and even certain types of cancer and Alzheimer's and different blood sugar dysregulation and metabolic syndrome. All these things um, have kind of as a common thread, excess fat accumulation, especially kind of phthalates around the gut. We call it uh, visceral adipose tissue or belly fat. Mm -hmm. And this is like a, a visceral organ in of itself. It's a major producer of lots of inflammatory substances. This is what the latest research is telling us. And this inflammation puts you at risk factor of all those conditions we just talked about. And this is the, the most concerning type of fat. There's different fat that accumulates in different areas. This is the one that we need to be most concerned about. Around the belly. Absolutely, around the belly, which is why I think um, part of what people are using to determine uh, if they're overweight is the weight scale mm -hmm. and the BMI, the body mass right. index. And I think both of those are, are very antiquated and, and frankly, don't tell us anything about this important visceral adipose tissue, this belly fat that is an extra risk factor. Because if you just jump on the weight scale, it's just measuring kind of whole body weight. It doesn't tell you how that weight is distributed. It doesn't tell you, is that water weight? Is that fat weight? Is that muscle weight? Um, and then the weight scale is also used to determine a person's body mass index. And this body mass index has some of the same issues where it doesn't really tell you how it's distributed. It, it, tells you it doesn't tell you what kind of overweight you are, which is why some researchers have looked into this and they uh, actually suggest a much, much simpler way of measuring this visceral adipose tissue. And simply what people can do is you take a flexible tape measure mm -hmm. that you can buy like anywhere and you measure around the level of your belly button around your waist. Mm -hmm. And so you take that waist circumference and, and then you measure your height and mm. you, you create this uh, waist to height ratio. Right. And um, oh, just some real quick on that. A lot of people think they know how tall they are and they tell people how tall they are and where people are like notoriously off with what they tell people. No kidding. <laughs> how tall they are. So I don't really care what, what people tell them how tall they are, but for this measurement, you mm -hmm. really need to measure your height, not what you think it is. Mm -hmm. Actually measure it. And then you take your waist uh, circumference, let's say in inches, and you divide it by your height. And basically the ratio, the number should be less than 0.5, hmm. less than 0.5. So basically what that means is you want your waist to be less than half of the length of your height. So in other words, if you're 70 inches tall, your waist should be 35 inches or less. Right. And if it's 0.51 or 0.52, that means your waist is, um, you have too much fat accumulation around this really important area that puts you at risk factor for all these things. Um, 
Well, and I just so want to very... clarify too, we yeah. know we're not talking about proportions here in terms of like, make sure that you're proportioned so that you look a certain way. There are real medical health risks to having this extra weight in this area. Yeah, totally unconcerned about any cosmetic thing. Right. This is not cosmetic. In fact, the the fat that that people think of is is cosmetic is really not that much of a risk factor. That's um, what we call subcutaneous fat. Mm-hmm. Not as big of a deal. It's the visceral fat, which mm-hmm. is deeper. The visceral fat is around surrounding deep your organs, like your liver, your pancreas, your your whole abdominal contents has a normal amount of of fat, visceral fat. It's very normal. It's insulation, it's cushion, it's it's to help keep you organs from banging into each other. It's very important. But for a variety of reasons that maybe we will get into, it um, when it goes into excess is when we have this kind of risk factor um, issue. And what because are some of those? Person goes, what are some of those oh, risk factors? Yeah. So because this visceral fat um, is a major producer of inflammation, we get excessive amount of these inflammatory substances floating around in the body and they could increase our risk factor for cardiovascular disease mm-hmm. for diabetes for alzheimers it's it's can cause neurodegeneration in the brain so it puts us at risk factors for really common issues that most people know about and are very eager to avoid yeah that's on one side the other thing is there's a condition called NAF ld naf LD. It's non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Mm. And it's it's surprisingly common. Mm-hmm. And what happens is we get this excess amount of visceral fat that accumulates around the liver. And that throws off normal function of the liver. So NAFLD is, maybe that's new to some of your listeners, but it's a common condition. Another common situation that's even less well-known, even amongst us uh, healthcare providers is is non-alcoholic fatty pancreas, and the pancreas is a major major organ, a lot like the liver. They have different jobs, but the pancreas is is another site of this uh, common excessive amount of visceral fat accumulation, and it could throw off the function of the pancreas, including things like um, insulin production. Insulin is this very key hormone that we will talk about that um, affects blood sugar regulation. So it can put you at a risk for developing blood sugar dysregulation and then things like diabetes. Um, And with all the liver's jobs that it has, it could also throw off lots of different things like cholesterol and triglycerides. Mm -hmm. Um, It could throw off your body's ability to process glucose and carbohydrates normally. Yeah, lots are you there i lost you for just one sec oh yeah um maybe just repeat the last thing you said i think it sounded like it was maybe a connection issue oh okay um yeah so when there's an excessive amount of fat accumulation around these really vital organs it can increase risk factor for developing disease in these organs and how would how would someone know? I mean, you know, if I was concerned about this, would this be something I would go to the doctor for? Or would I just take the measurement and focus on weight loss? You know, what would someone do if they if they're listening and think, oh, I'm I'm worried maybe I have this? I think all the above. I mm-hmm. think a really simple thing that people can just do from home is that waist to height ratio. Right. And just see where they're at. See, are they at risk of this excessive amount of, of visceral adipose accumulation, this belly fat? Um, if they are, then I would probably take the next step and uh, go see their doctor and have some basic blood work done mm-hmm. to look at things like their fasting glucose, mm-hmm. which is their blood sugar, their fasting insulin, which is so key in this uh, topic of fat burning, which we'll, we'll come back to. Mm-hmm. But also they'll look at basic liver function, kidney function basic markers that every doctor is going to run on a, on a routine checkup Got it. could let you know what your current risk factors are. So this is a reminder too, for us to make sure we're doing that routine blood work with our doctor. Yeah, absolutely. And typically 
I run markers that are kind of um, uh, uh, more than what is run typically. Like, for example, instead of just a typical cholesterol panel, which is cholesterol, triglycerides, HDL cholesterol, and LDL cholesterol, I run like another five or six markers uh, with regard to cholesterol uh, on top of that because um, that typical cholesterol panel is is pretty old school. There's some really new important markers that kind of take a deeper dive into the nuances of lipid metabolism. And they can really give us some early indicators of, of cardiometabolic disease. Got it. Well, let's dive into this whole insulin thing. If you know, if we're looking at like, what is the, you know, what's the real way to deal with this belly fat? How does insulin play a part in this? Yeah. So it's helpful to, um, to kind of consider a framework because if we can, if we could develop the right framework, then we could know what steps need to be taken to cause a uh, proper fat burning because Weight loss and fat burning are almost two different things. Weight loss can happen just from a crash diet and somebody just stops eating, even stops drinking water, and they just lose a bunch of fluid in their system and they're going to drop weight. That's I, Nobody should be interested in that. We're talking about fat burning, instigating fat burning in your system. So the gatekeeper of fat burning is our hormones. And at kind of the top of the pyramid of these hormones that um, contribute to, are you in a state of fat burning or are you in a state of fat accumulation is insulin. Insulin is by far at the top of that. And when we think of hormones, we think of like estrogen and testosterone and stuff like that. And those actually influence as well uh, fat burning, but insulin is by far at the top of that list. But to consider this in a bigger framework, let's think of like, you know, what is the objective? Um, obviously, we're talking about weight loss in this case. And then what's the strategy of supporting that objective? And then what tactics are we going to apply to help support that um, strategy? So if the objective is weight loss, the strategy really needs to be controlling insulin. And there's lots of different tactics kind of clinical tools that we can help somebody manage their excessive insulin. But we have to consider that framework because if one tactic doesn't work, we can't, we don't want to toss out the whole strategy. We go, okay, we're trying to bring down insulin. What's another tactic? Because it can vary from person to person. And one person, one tactic might work great and not work at all. And another person, and this is where just clinical experience uh, comes in handy because if we're just talking about this stuff theoretically, we could we could dig our heels in and say, oh, this works for everybody. But you know what? When I hear that from people, they clearly don't treat patients because it it doesn't work for everybody, and we have to have multiple tools in the tool bag. And so, um, insulin um, helps to control what we call fuel partitioning. Are you storing fat or are you burning fat? And insulin controls that. So just to keep it real simple, if insulin is up, fat-burning hormones are out to lunch. Mm. If insulin is down, that um, allows an opportunity for fat-burning hormones to kick in. This is how critical um, insulin balance is for uh, basic fat-burning. Mm -hmm. And so where would someone start to look at addressing, you know, or, or figuring out which tactic might be right for them? Yeah. So we first start with what um, influences insulin production in the body. And just to take a, a broad view of it, eating, anytime you eat is going to instigate fat burning. Mm -hmm. But then we can drill it down to, you know, macronutrients and micronutrients. Mm -hmm. Macronutrients are, uh, there's three of them. There's fats, carbohydrates and proteins. And then micronutrients are like everything else, like vitamins and minerals and amino acids and stuff like that. So of the macronutrients, there's kind of an order in which we could say, you know, this is the order of how much insulin is produced by each macronutrient. So by far at the top of that list is carbohydrates and then proteins and then fats. Fats actually instigate very, very little to no uh, insulin. Pure fat. Hmm. 
Um, protein, um, I'd say a moderate amount, kind of depends on the individual, kind of depends on how much and what type of protein is being consumed. And then carbohydrates, a similar thing. There's kind of a spectrum from you know a complex carbohydrate like um, leafy greens or broccoli or something like that has a lower insulin uh, response than something like what we call ultra processed foods, mm -hmm. like um, anything made from refined flour, like cookies and chips and crackers and pastries and pastas and breads have a much, much higher uh, insulin response. So that's a very logical first place to start is, is with a person's um, diet. And uh, uh, I try not to use the word diet, although I fail and I use it all the time because <laughs> diet is, it, it almost comes with its own ideological kind of nuances that, that people either don't like the word or it seems temporary or whatever. But I'm, what I'm really talking about is nutritional biochemistry. That's really what I think of when I, when I, when I use the word diet, in my mind, I'm thinking of nutritional biochemistry. How can we, um, influence a person's nutritional biochemistry with the foods that they eat. And I guess the short word for that is diet. Um, but that's really what we're looking at is how can we influence a person's physiology with the foods that we suggest they choose. And, you know, according to that kind of spectrum that I laid out, the more processed and ultra processed a food is, the higher the insulin response. There's some really current data that's looking at these ultra processed foods. And, you know, your listeners might be thinking, oh, I might have some processed foods, but I don't have ultra processed foods. Mm -hmm. And you know what? They're having ultra processed foods because anything that is made from flour, like I said, you know, breads and pastas and crackers and chips, these are, these are um, by their de definition, they're very, very common in our diet. In fact, they make up over 50% of calories in the U.S. is uh, consumed with these ultra-processed foods. So it's very, very common. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, I tell my kids all the time, when you're eating something out of a package or a box, it's processed. <laughs> yeah, but, exactly. But it's so pervasive. I mean, it's, it, it is. It's, it's what most of the grocery store is comprised of, is these packaged foods. Yeah, all the middle aisles, pretty much. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So what yeah, else so, can um, affect insulin? I mean, I know, you know, macronutrients is a big one to be looking at. Um, do hormones play a part in this? So all the hormones really do play a part. Um, insulin, like I said, is at the top of the list and kind of the biggest influencer of fat burning. But I'd say uh, second on the list is cortisol. Right. Cortisol is a hormone produced by the adrenal glands, these little glands that sit right above the kidneys. They're really small, only the size of maybe like a walnut, but they're a powerhouse of hormone production. And cortisol is one of the key hormones that they produce. And cortisol, um, especially um, elevated levels of cortisol, causes blood sugar uh, to be released in the system. Mm -hmm. So cortisol kind of causes glucose to go up. And um, the body doesn't do this because it's an error. It's actually a very smart process because here's what happens. The main kind of ancestral reason why cortisol gets released is we're trying to fight or flee. That whole fight or flight system kicks in and cortisol causes blood sugar to go up because we want to flood our body with blood sugar when we're trying to, trying to fight or flee a situation because that blood sugar is fuel for our muscles to do what we have to do. And so cortisol going up kind of causes this big dumping of glucose, blood sugar into the system for fuel. But unfortunately, most of the stress that we're dealing with today that causes cortisol to be released is like mental emotional stress. We're not running away from anything or fighting something. Right, it's right. mental emotional. And so this cortisol gets released, but we don't have the physical demand to help bring it back down to normal. And so this cortisol dumps, blood sugar goes up, insulin goes up, and fat, and fat burning stalls fat accumulation goes up because the body is just sedentary in this mental, emotional kind of stress response. Mm -hmm. So 
cortisol is a big one, and it absolutely has to be considered when uh, we want to really instigate fat burning. And how we know would, we, un- how would yeah. we know if our cortisol was out of whack? Yeah, good question. It's difficult to know just based on symptoms. Um, so we definitely want to rely on lab testing. Um, just in a real basic way, you can do um, uh, a morning blood test and to look at AM cortisol, AM like morning, morning cortisol. And we want to see that that's in normal reference range. A more uh, comprehensive way of doing it is with a salivary test. So the reason why that's more comprehensive is because um, with these uh, adrenal salivary kits, they come with these four uh, tubes. And basically, we collect our saliva into the tubes at specific times of day, like early morning, noon, um, afternoon, and then late at night, like midnight. So we get literally a whole day graph of what our cortisol is doing during, you know, um, like a 12, 12 to 20 hour period. Mm-hmm. And so um, we get a, a comprehensive evaluation of exactly what our cortisol is doing. So those two ways are, are probably the best ways of doing it. And what would be, you know, what would be a first indication that maybe someone should get their cortisol tested? Um, they they have this kind of fat accumulation mm-hmm. and despite their best efforts, Got it's it. not going away. Got so it. cortisol could cause this kind of stubborn uh, weight gain or they just went through a stressful period and they have what we'd call unexplained weight gain. Like right. they don't feel like they really changed their diet. They didn't really change anything. They went through this stressful period, but they all of a sudden gained 10, 15, 20 pounds and they have no idea how that happened. Got that it. could be a reason. Got it. Sometimes um, uh, sleeping issues could be a reason to evaluate your cortisol mm-hmm. because um, cortisol has a pretty direct effect on the quality and duration of your sleep. Got it. And then if if a person finds out their cortisol is out of whack, what would be some of the ways to remediate that? It takes us back to... Um, nutritional biochemistry mm-hmm. <laughs> back to their diet because we have to get their their diet under control. Um, we want to decrease the uh, way that blood sugar uh, fluctuates during the day because not only do we have the random stressors from you know relationship stress or work stress or family stress, those kind of things, but we can also have biochemical stress from blood sugar fluctuations. So we really want to um, to take a look at their diet. But there's two other key pieces. There's stress management techniques. There's great like phone apps that you can download mm-hmm. and take you through a 10 minute, you know, mindfulness mm-hmm. meditation. Mm-hmm. Those they're excellent. And the research is just ridiculous. There's so much research on mindfulness and yeah. how that helps uh, cortisol and adrenal stress. Um, and then of course, sleep. Sleep is... Um, I think a very underappreciated tool tactic yeah. for um, sleep, or excuse me, for stress management, and also, frankly, for blood sugar regulation and fat burning. If sleeping is not happening, we need to move that toward the top of the list of things that we have to help because um, it's so key. Got it. Okay, so we talked about insulin, talked about cortisol. Is there anything else, any other hidden um, issue we should be looking at when we're finding we're not losing weight despite our efforts? Yeah, sometimes, you know, we we like to talk about what to eat. Sometimes we don't talk enough about when to eat Hmm. because our bodies are not not designed to be eating, you know, 18 (laughs) hours a day. Right. Like a lot of people wake up and have to, you know, stuff a, a, a muffin in their mouth at six in the morning mm-hmm. and then they have a snack and then they have lunch and then they have a snack and then they have dinner and then they have a snack. Guess what is being released all day long? Insulin. Mm-hmm. Insulin never has a chance to chill out. And then you might sleep for like six, you know, if it's, you're a standard American, you sleep for like 6.5 hours and that's the only time that insulin chills out. So mm-hmm. there's a when to eat concept, Got it. and we really at the very very basic level, tw- and then have a 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 twelve hour eating window. Mm-hmm. So if we could fast from 
8 p.m. to 8 a.m., that would be a really, really good start. And that might be new for a lot of people. And that's Mm -hmm. just basic. That's like 1960s is when we were doing that. That was just basic life. Um, But then things started to change decades later and lots of advertisers were saying you should eat this and you should eat that and you should definitely snack in between your meals. And um, so just uh, if people just want to start from kind of a, a baseline, just go 12 and 12 and and try not to eat snacks. Just have your three main meals per day. And then depending on the individual and the severity of their condition, sometimes we'll increase that fasting period. Sometimes we call that um, uh, restricted uh uh, eating window where we are increasing that overnight fast from 12 hours to maybe 14 hours. Maybe we increase it to 16 hours and we decrease their eating window to like eight to 10 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and that gives them a longer period of time of insulin dropping down. Right. And this is especially important for people who we have laboratory evidence that they have uh, elevated levels of insulin. And we mm-hmm. really have to... Um, to help them bring that insulin down. Sometimes just the dietary changes aren't helping as fast. So we have to talk about this when to eat uh, mm-hmm. component. And some people call this intermittent fasting. Yes, that, mm-hmm. that can be considered intermittent fasting. Intermittent fasting can mean multiple things depending on you know who's talking about it. Just extending that overnight fast could be considered a type of inter- uh, intermittent fast. Also doing a 24-hour fast uh, could be considered an intermittent mm. fast. And a common way that we will apply uh, that, those longer intermittent fasts, like a 24-hour, will be like dinner to dinner. So let's say you eat normally today, mm-hmm. you stop eating at dinner time or you know after your dinner, and then you don't eat again until tomorrow at dinner time. And that's a nice way of, uh, of putting somebody on a 24-hour fast. So it's not like a whole calendar mm-hmm. day that mm-hmm. you're not eating anything. You actually eat every day, but you just have that extended um, period of fasting. Got and, it. you know, so we monitor people and there's some nuances that people would need to know uh, to do this the right way so they don't get dehydrated and stuff like that. But as a general concept, it's a really powerful tool. That's so interesting. Yeah, I've heard a lot about, um, you know, this like eating window and, and how how beneficial it can be to the body. Yeah, you know, there's a there's a term that we um, that researchers have come up with called autophagy, mm-hmm. and autophagy literally means something like you know um, self eating. Because what you do is when there's no food that the body has to deal with, all these repair mechanisms are allowed to be released, and it's like a cleaning crew that come out and they they clean up debris and old cells, and they're they start to recycle because once there's no food floating around, the body's like, huh, maybe we'll go recycle some protein Mm. because there's some damaged cells, there's some excess uh, connective tissue that is just unnecessary. So so the body starts to clean that kind of stuff up. And that's why oftentimes people feel like, oh, my skin looks better. I feel more energetic because a lot of this inflammation gets mopped up, all this excessive damaged connective tissue gets cleaned up and the body recycles those proteins to be used as fuel. So it's a really great way to, um, to kind of cleanse the system. Yeah. And also from a fat burning perspective, it's awesome because um, when glucose goes down, insulin goes down and then the fat burning hormones are also allowed to come out and play. And so when they come out, they start to mobilize fat that's just kind of sitting around. And body goes, all right, well, I, I need fuel right now. So I'll just use some of this fat that's sitting here. But guess what? The body can't do that when insulin is too high. It blocks those uh, fat burning hormones. So we got to get insulin down. And then the fat burning hormones are allowed to do their thing. Got it. So looking at our eating window, looking at our macronutrients, any other words of wisdom for for dealing with this those stuff? Are th- yeah, those things in addition to um, really ensuring uh, proper sleep, mm-hmm. like we really should mm-hmm. be getting, you know, seven, eight, nine hours of sleep. Yeah. We know that that is just vital for normal physiological function, including fat burning. Um, and then the stress management piece, yes. those have to be all considered 
for kind of a complete picture. And like I said, just one of those might work awesome for some people Mm -hmm. and a different one works better for another person. And this is where as long as we stay true to our strategic kind of uh, 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 let's just say our strategy of trying to lower insulin, all these different tactics could influence it Mm -hmm. and they might vary from person to person. That's, that's great. Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting because you would, you would typically never hear in regards to weight loss, the advice of make sure you're getting enough sleep or practice mindfulness. Those just aren't things we would typically associate with that. Yeah, absolutely. Or even just the concept of you have to exercise, exercise, exercise. I mean, if I'm writing a book on health, exercise is going to have a huge, important chapter. But for the concept of fat burning specifically, you know, we say that fat burning happens in the kitchen, not the gym. Hmm. And so it's really key. You can burn calories in the gym, but then that puts you back in the calorie in, calorie out concept of fat burning that has failed for the past few decades. And since that concept has failed, just the calorie burning concept with exercise is not the way to burn fat. It has to happen with... um, really controlling insulin with this mm-hmm. kind of hormonal concept of fat burning calories don't play as as big of a role so mm-hmm. exercise is very important it can certainly help with fat burning but it can't be kind of the centerpiece of the concept and what about it for people who you know maybe they want to follow this um, this track and are confused about well then what should I eat yeah so what what they should eat if they really want to instigate fat burning is they have to get rid of these ultra processed foods. Right. They, they just, it has to go out of the diet. Right. Um, there are definitely some non-negotiables and then there's some negotiables. Mm-hmm. The non-negotiables are like high fructose corn syrup. Yeah. That's, that's with my patients, that's a non-negotiable. We can't say a little bit of this is okay. A moderate amount is okay. No, it's zero. Zero high fructose corn syrup. It's just one of the worst products of human food manufacturing. Absolutely. Um, you know, so um, so that so those have to go out. We have to reduce the sugar, the refined processed grains. We just know cause a really significant insulin spike, and these ultra processed foods. Also, what they have is a low satiety potential, which means they don't satiate you. They don't fill you up. So they actually make you eat more and more. And so the net effect is going to be higher glucose, higher insulin. Um, and then uh, those have to get out of the diet. And then so what to eat is they want to have whole foods. You want to ask yourself before you eat something, how close is this to its natural form? And if you're having like a salad or you've uh, roasted some veggies or sauteed some veggies using some good healthy oil like olive oil, avocado oil, coconut oil. This is, these are whole foods. These are whole foods that your body knows how to process right away. Um, so that high quality proteins, animal mm-hmm. proteins, uh, vegetable-based proteins, these are, these are very good for the body to, to utilize. And they will decrease the insulin response, which is really key. So yep. this is a good place to start for people, kind of a, a lower refined carbohydrate diet. Now, I'm not saying no carbs. Carbs are great. Uh, carbs are all over in the plant world. So we like carbohydrates, but we just want uh, the, the grain-based processed carbohydrates have to go down if fat burning is a goal. Got it. Well, what about keto? I know lots of people are trying that. What are your thoughts on that? So my thoughts are, um, I think keto is interesting. Um, I've put lots of people on the ketogenic diet. Um, I wouldn't say it's 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 the diet that everybody should be following, but I do put a lot of people on, on a ketogenic diet because uh, it not only is it low carb, it's ultra it's ultra low carb. It really mm-hmm. brings your total carbohydrates down very low. And there's certain situations where we definitely want to boost uh, ketone production. Ketones, you know, geez, we can talk for an hour just about ketones. decrease the body's uh, demand for glucose 
a great replacement for glucose is ketones. Ketones mm. especially fuel the brain. The brain can't use fat for fuel like the rest of the body can. Most of the rest of the body could convert fat into energy. The brain, since fat can't cross the blood-brain barrier, the brain uh, requires ketones, which are kind of produced by fat in the liver, but the liver converts the fat into a ketone, and then the ketone very easily crosses the blood-brain barrier, and all the neurons of your brain get to use these ketones. Mm. And when I put people on a ketogenic diet, um, they report really great effects. Um, definitely fat burning happens, but what they also notice is they have a significant improvement of their energy. They, they have better mood. They have better brain focus. Um, and so all these other cool effects happen when we could put somebody into ketosis. I would say as kind of a general rule, I'd like to at least help people to uh, cycle uh, levels of, of ketosis, whether that's done with diet or whether that's done with fasting or whether that's done with what we call exogenous ketones, like ketone supplements. There's multiple ways to boost up ketones and um, it's definitely a, uh, a valuable tool to have in the tool bag. That's so interesting. Yeah, I've I've heard a lot of people talk about um, going on keto and then having a brain fog sort of lifted. It really does because here's what happens when we're so dependent on glucose as the only fuel for our neurons of our brain. There's it's a dirtier burning fuel, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So these fuels, whether it's ketones or glucose, go into the cell, and the cell mitochondria, kind of the little engines of the cell convert the fuel into ATP, adenosine triphosphate. And this is what energizes the cells and the neurons. Um, glucose has a byproduct when glucose gets burned in the cell. And that byproduct is called ROS, reactive oxygen species. And it's an inflammatory substance. So we have this inflammation that gets released every time we burn glucose in our cells, including the brain. Ketones do not have this ROS byproduct. Ketones are a much uh, cleaner burning fuel for the brain. So the net effect is an anti-inflammatory effect for the brain. The brain is just going to feel better. You're going to feel clearer. You're going to have less brain fog. You're going to have more brain focus. You're going to have better brain endurance. It's, it's pretty fantastic, actually. And it's consistent and it works. Um, but people just have to, you know, understand how to boost these levels of ketones in their system. It's like this great um, benefit that's weaved into our DNA, but it's dormant, unfortunately, in most people because of the, the foods they're consuming and the timing of their foods. Mm -hmm. It's just not allowing their body to go into even brief states of ketosis. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is so incredibly helpful. I appreciate it so much. I, I feel like you are dispelling a lot of myths that I've even carried around for a long time. Cool. Well, this is a lot of fun. Thanks for, yeah. thanks for asking the questions. Thank you. And where can people find you online? Um, uh, my website, uh, which is kind of being redone, but it's still live, is uh, drchadlarson.com, spelled out D-O-C-T-O-R, Chad Larson, L-A-R-S-O-N.com. Thank you so much. Thanks. Take care. Thanks for joining us. Continue the self-care conversation with us over at Instagram at at Selfie Podcast. And make sure to join our uber supportive community that we love on Facebook by searching for Selfie Podcast Community. You can also visit our website to check out the resources we've talked about in each episode at SelfiePodcast.com. Make sure to subscribe to Selfie on iTunes so that you can catch up with us next week. Special thanks to Shepherd Audio for providing our music. Take care.